necessary, God, and that we would see the, imp- the importance and the urgency of the things that you ask us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, three to seven can go. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I just looked at my watch and it said 10.09. I was like, all right, I got plenty of time. I didn't set my watch back. I still got plenty of time. If y'all ever need to go, y'all can go. Um, going to kind of start moving our church in a in a different direction, I believe, or leading our church in a different direction. Um, I want to I want to set the I want to set your your heart for the uh, for the message this morning. I'm gonna. Here's what I want to say. Um, I don't want you. I don't, some people hear messages like this and they feel bad. How many of you have ever been productive when you feel bad? You're not. When you got the flu, you don't feel like doing anything. I don't want you to I don't want you to sit there and feel bad. I don't want you to feel guilty. The point of a message is not to step on your toes, it's to encourage your heart. So if so if so if you look when you hear God's word and you see something to where you hear it and you're not involved in it or you're not taking a part in it, it does no good for you to go, man, I feel so bad and I'm guilty. That, that's not going to produce what God wants to produce in your life. What God wants to produce is hope and encouragement and obedience. And so I know some of y'all think, what is he going to preach on? Anyhow, I want you to, uh, it's, it's good to go, I, I want to acknowledge I don't do that. For, for instance, you know, I'm not, I'm not no great evangelist, you know, where I, where I leave every week. Some people think I leave and talk to everybody about Jesus. I, I don't. And I'm not good at that one-on-one confrontation with somebody I don't know. Okay? I could use that as an excuse. And I could feel bad about it. But what I'd rather do is I acknowledge it to the Lord and go, Lord, I, I prayed this last couple of weeks. Lord, I don't witness to people like I want to. You know, the desire is there. How to overcome my physical weakness I hadn't found yet. But I want to acknowledge, Lord, I don't, I, I, you know, I, sometimes I, I worry about talking to people or how I'm going to get on the conversation. God doesn't want me to feel guilty. What he wants to do is come to him and go start, start praying, God, give me courage. I want courage and I want boldness and I don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to feel bad where I'm at and I don't want to accept who I am. But I want to overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would give me courage and boldness to speak as I ought to. And I think Paul struggled with it too because he asked the church to pray for the same thing. Pray that I would speak with boldness as I ought to. And so this morning, if God deals with your heart to go, these are some areas that you need to deal with. God doesn't want you simply to feel bad and to say you're sorry. He wants you to be encouraged because he has the grace to give you to overcome your inabilities and your weaknesses. That's what grace is for. All right? All right, looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, <clears throat> I found a... Uh, I was going to hold my phone up. You don't need me to. Anyhow, I'm pretending I'm holding my phone up. 
I found a, um, an option on my phone that I didn't know was there, even though I've had a phone now for I don't know how many years. I don't fool with the phone much. But it is one of my favorite options, and it is that little red um, circle on the bottom when somebody's calling that says decline. I didn't realize you could do that. I don't know what it says on the other end. But anyhow, there's some of y'all, when I see your name come up, I just push that button. <laughs> no. Sometimes, you know, if I'm working or I'm up on a roof or in a bad situation or screaming at my help, you know, and I'm not spiritual at the moment, and I see a church member call, I might have to push decline. But most of the time, it's it, if I don't recognize the number, you know, it's one of them telemarketers or whatever, a lot of times I'll talk to them at the Lord when I get them on the phone. Some of them don't want to hear it, so I'll just decline it, you know. But here's the thing. When you have a phone and somebody's calling, it's your option, whether you answer with a green button or you hit the decline button, okay, or call back later. And I wanted to talk to you this morning about God's calling in your life. When you look at 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to try to preach through 1 Corinthians for a while, uh, it starts off in verse 1. Now remember, Paul, Paul is the one writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Paul... And notice how he starts off his letter. Paul called, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother. That was who was with him. Sothenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to... Read on down to about a little bit more. It says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will... Also confirm you until the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. And notice what it says here. By whom you were called. Called to what? Into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, and so when you start off here with the Apostle Paul, we're not going to cover a lot of area today. But when you look at him, he, he, was, he starts off and he says, I was called. I was called. God was the caller. He was the answer. He was called to be an apostle. And here's the thing. These are one of many callings in Paul's life. Paul was called to the grace of God in his salvation. He was called to be a missionary in Acts chapter 13. He's called to suffer for Jesus in the book of Acts. Uh, when Jesus was speaking to Ananias, he said, This man is called to suffer many things for my, for my name's sake. He was called to certain places. And that's how he ended up here in Corinth. He had a vision. Uh, we, we refer to it as the Macedonian call, but he had a vision of a man in Macedonia that come over here and speak to us. And so God had many callings in Paul's life, not just <clears throat> to be an apostle, but so many other callings. And every one of us has callings in our life that need to be answered. Every person here. Now, when I talk about a calling, a lot of times people, you know, they always want to look at a call to preach or a call to a position, you know, or, or a mission. And that, that has to deal with, well, I'm going to be real simple as I can be simple this morning, um, which is pretty simple. But when I say a call to God, like if I say when God called me to preach, I didn't hear God audibly. I didn't have a vision. I didn't see anything. You know, a call to God is basically what I would describe as, like I use the Old Testament, is a burden from the Lord in your soul. Especially when you hear God's word 
that the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, talking to believers who are seeking the Lord this morning, you're a believer, and, and when you hear or you study God's word for yourself, or, you, or you're on a certain topic there, or maybe you hear a message and the Holy Spirit speaks to your soul to go, this is something that you need to be doing. This is something that you desire. You know, I desired that. The only thing that held me up on answering a call to preach was I looked at me a lot because I was an idiot and I don't need to stay. I still am and don't need to stand here. And I wanted to make sure this is what God wanted me to do. It was never running from the Lord because I wanted to live for the world. I had been praying for years not to preach, but God, I want to be a witness. Please, God, help me. I've been praying for 20 years. Please, God, give me courage to help me to be a witness. I want to be a witness of the gospel because you're so good. you know. And then God's like, okay, I'm going to give you a platform to talk to 200 people a week. And I love it. You know, and I, I still tell God, I, I'm scared to death, but I'll go anywhere you ask me to go. I'll preach anywhere you ask me to preach. You, you give me an open door, and I'm going to blast through it because I love the Lord, and I know you do too. And I want to encourage you this morning that, but so when we talk about calls, I, you know, the first thing that he talks about here is a call that you are called into the fellowship of the Son. In your salvation, your salvation is a call. You know, you don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and go, oh, today I'm going to be saved. Or, you know, I'm going to wait till this certain time and then I'm going to be saved. God might not be calling and you can't answer if there's no call. And I believe God calls out to everyone. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so when God calls and, and, and when the word of God is spoken, usually is when God calls, not just every time, but when you hear the gospel message and you're sitting here this morning, you hear that gospel message in your heart, in your soul, not your Hard be, but in your soul, your spirit, man, when the Holy Spirit says, talking to you, I want to save you. God doesn't want you to go, man, I feel so bad because I'm a sinner. He wants you to go, I have so much hope because he's a savior. And so when God calls, what he's doing is it's not a call for you simply to come up here or a call to be baptized. It's an amazing invitation that God calls you to be in fellowship with the son. Do you get that? Basically, God's calling you up, go, I want you to walk with me. I want to talk to you. I want to commune with you. The only thing that's ever kept you from that is your sin. And Jesus is like, I love you so much. I died for your sin. When you come to me, I'll wash it away. You're new. You're a saint. You realize, when, the, when you look at that word there, it says we are called to be. To be is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original language. So basically in the original writings, it would say called saints. Saint is not something you live up to. Here's the way God sees you. He makes you. If you study this first chapter, everything in this first chapter is about what God's done for you and for me. He makes you a saint through what he's already accomplished for you. And, and, and the word saint means that you are have been separated from sin and that you have been consecrated to God. That's something he does. That's when you humble yourself and you come to him, he's the one who does all the work. You understand that? And so just as your sin separates you from God when you're lost, before you're born again, your sin separates you from God. The Lord loves you so much that at the moment that you turn to Jesus in faith, he separates you from sin and consecrates you for himself. Y'all hear that? Are y'all with me this morning? If you're not excited about that, you need to go watch the baseball game somewhere. I'm, I'm super excited about that. I'm like, it's awesome that I, as a sinful-natured man, have been transformed in so much by the grace of God that I can walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, know Jesus, work with Jesus, and He's totally satisfied with who I am because He's made me a new person. 
and he calls us into fellowship. And you say, how do I know what my calling is? You know, he calls you to salvation. You simply answer. There's some of you here this morning, maybe God's been calling you hitting the, the, the decline button. Not today. Not today. My advice for you was, well, you better answer the call. Because you don't know if that call is coming again. You don't choose the moment. He does. And he gives you the opportunity. You have to answer the call in faith. Go, God, I want to. But then for those of you who are saved, there's other callings in your life. And God's got purpose, okay? But here's the thing. As I walk with the Lord, he calls us into fellowship, just like he did disciples. What did he say? He called them into fellowship. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he calls God's people into a fellowship with him where he goes, follow me, and I will make you into whatever it is his work is because he calls us to join him in that work. And so in that, as I spend time in fellowship with the Lord, what I mean by that, I'm, I'm in God's word because I want to know the will of God. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know what he's like. I want to know what his desires are for me. I want to know the promises he has for me. I want to know the power that I have in my life because of who I am in Christ. So I spend time in his word and spend time in communion and prayer. And as I walk with the Lord and I worship with the Lord, all of a sudden there's a transformation that takes place in our heart to where now his heart becomes my heart. Do you realize the Bible says in Corinthians, we'll study later, but your body is not your own. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that means at the moment that I trust Christ... He takes up residence, and this is no longer my body. It's his body, his hands, his eyes, his feet, his mouth, his breath. The very spirit of God, God himself, lives inside of you as a believer. That's the kind of fellowship. The word fellowship means you become one with Christ. There is no separating. There is no gods up there. You're not praying to God up there. You're talking to God right here inside of you. Does that make sense? And so what he's doing is he's working in you to train. It's a lifelong transformation. He'll work in you the rest of it. He wants to work in you. You were created in Christ Jesus under good works. He's working in you, developing his heart in you. Spiritual exercise, workouts, what it is. And Christ is developing his heart, his nature. And so as you fellowship with him and you walk with him and you quit resisting and fighting against the only good thing in your life... That all of a sudden a transformation takes place and your heart becomes your, his heart or his heart becomes your heart. His desires become your desires. That's why the Bible said he gives you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean, hey, I want a Corvette. You know, God, where you at, right? I mean, his desires, he's transforming me something better than a Corvette. Sooner or later, a Corvette wears out. He doesn't. And so in that, he gives me his desires. And then all of a sudden, his purpose becomes my purpose. And over the years, I didn't have the purpose that I got now. And I hope 20 years from now, if I'm still alive, that I have a new purpose then because I continue to grow. And he continues to to reveal that purpose in me. So it's not about I need to find out what my calling is and what, what my purpose is. Not your purpose, it's his purpose. You don't know what your calling is, fellowship with the Lord and walk with the Lord. All of a sudden, your heart becomes his heart, and, and, and he gives you the desires of your heart, and his purpose becomes your purpose. Then it's really easy to plug in to what he has for you to do every day because you have a new heart's desire. You say, well, I don't have those desires. I don't have all that. Then my question is, do you know Jesus, number one? And number two, are you in fellowship with him? And if you're not, why are you a Christian? Why do you say you're a Christian, right? Because it's not about, hey, well, I went to church. I just don't know the Lord. That makes no sense. That's called religion. It's empty. And so in that, Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that all things work together for good. And notice what it says, for those who love God. 
doesn't say for those who are Baptists, for those who've been to church, for those who attend regularly. It says for those who love God. That's the mark of a believer. Do you love God or not? Okay. For those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And so God calls us in the fellowship and then he calls us to a work. I want you to turn real quick. Philippians chapter three. You know, and I'll be honest with you, this message is not for people who go, you know, I just want to, I just want to go to church and hear a message, hear a message and get on about my life. I'm not preaching to you this morning. I'm talking to the ones who go, I want to come here so that I can fellowship with the Lord, fellowship with God's people. I want to be equipped. I want to know God. I want to know God's word so I can be a part of what God's doing and I can answer what God's calling and purposes in my life. Okay. And so when you look in Philippians chapter three, it's talking about Paul here and looking in verse 13, notice what it says, verse 12, he said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I might lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. He's got a purpose for which he's laid a hold of you. And you press towards that mark. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended. But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal or the mark for the prize of the, notice what it says, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Every believer here this morning, you have an upward call. You have a point for which Christ has laid a hold of you. Some of you go, yes, because I can go to heaven. Well, if it was, then you'd be in heaven right now. And you ain't. So he's got you here on the earth, but he wants you to focus on his upward call because he wants to work through you to accomplish his purpose here on earth. That's why you're still breathing his breath. It's a higher calling. And Paul is pressing towards that. And if you've studied the Gospels and you've studied the New Testament, you'll know that that was Paul's sole purpose in life. Your sole purpose in life is God's upward call. That's why it's very important that you figure out what that is. But it's not a that, it's a who. And as you walk with the Lord, you find that. You know, think about this. We get, we get so caught up in uh, <coughs> worldly things and, and all the stuff we've got going in this culture that just constantly pulling us away from our upward call. So I ask you a question. What is the sole purpose of a running back? You know, if you take a run, it's like, well, it just depends on who it is. Sole purpose of a running back is not to make $10 million a year. That's not his purpose. That's a benefit, but it's not a purpose. His sole purpose is to carry the ball to the end zone. Every time he gets the ball, he got one thing on his mind. I'm going to go through the opposition, around the opposition, and I'm going to the goal. If he's not doing that, he's not a running back. It's to move the ball forward. And here's the thing. It's never going to happen if every time the quarterback hands off that he throws the ball away. Now, he might fumble sometimes. We're all going to fumble. But every time the quarterback hands in the ball, he should grasp it and go, all right, my point is. He doesn't have to go, hey, what's, what's the point again? He doesn't have, the quarterback doesn't go, hey, I'm going to take off running this way. You follow me. Like, okay. He knows what his point is. He is driven to that. But if he gets caught up in looking at the crowd or focusing on the cheerleaders, or he goes to wrestling with the, with the line, he's missed his whole point. My point is, over the years as a pastor, one thing I say, I see people come, I see people stay, I see people who are faithful, I see people who continue to grow, they continue to be perfected or mature as a believer. And then you see a large group of people who come, 
They get excited for a minute, they're gone. They come, their problems are fixed, they're gone. They come, they're gone, they're back, they're gone, they're back, they're gone. I go, what is the difference between these people? Some of those people, rather than taking what's given to them and moving towards their upward call, their point, what they do is as a running back, they're like, all right, when you hand me the ball, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop it and I'm going to tackle these guys. You're not supposed to be wrestling. And some of us, what we do is we, we come and we hear the gospel and hopefully they're saved. And all of a sudden they act like it's their life goal is to, is to wrestle with sin and temptation and all other things. You know, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna, their whole world, I'm gonna overcome what I was. He's already overcome it. He doesn't call you. The point of a Christian is not to go, I'm gonna beat sin. I'm gonna be moral. I'm gonna get to a place where I don't sin anymore. Yeah, when you're dead. But that's not your point. You know, here's the thing. Temptation and sin and addiction and all that stuff would have a whole lot less power on you if you would focus on your upward call and move forward. You know, fumble if you do. Get tackled if you do. Get beat up sometimes. Sometimes we even lose yardage, but you get back in the hole and you go, let's go. Let's go again. And then all of a sudden you're not viewing the sin as the ultimate prize you're viewing Christ as the ultimate prize, and you see the temptation is this is a this is a alignment that's in my way. I'm gonna avoid it. I'm gonna go around it because I've got something that I'm going towards. If you don't have a goal, you just run around the backfield going, oh, you know what I'm supposed to be doing? Come to church again. It's not about coming to you know, football will be boring if we go, all right, we're gonna take forty five minutes in the huddle, two minutes playing. And that's what we're some of you we're gonna all right, we come to church for forty five minutes and then during the week, we don't have no point. Well, it's the preacher's goal. I've got my goal. I love my goal, and I'm going to continue to press towards you. But you're missing it if you're not seeking yours. And so uh, I'm going to have to kind of edit this a little bit. <clears throat> I want to look on down. Looking in uh, the next uh, verse there. Let me get back to Corinthians. I'm sorry. <clears throat> looking back in Corinthians chapter 1. You know, Paul starts off and notice how he addressed He said, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to the church of God, which he doesn't say to individuals. When Paul writes, the only book he writes to individuals is to Timothy and to Titus. The rest of the time he's addressing the church, he's addressing it as a whole. I'm addressing our church as a whole. There's a lot of individualism in churches today where it's about my thing, my calling, my ministry, my purpose, me and God. Whereas God said, I put you together as a body, as a group of people. And he's, he's placed us together where we as a whole have a mission. The reason that you come to a church is that you, you, if you agree with what the church believes, you're of the same mind, of the same spirit, of the same purpose to go, I'm a part of Cedar Creek Baptist Church. I don't just attend here to worship and to hear the message, but I believe what this group of people believe. And I am on the same mind thought that we are here for a purpose and a mission to glorify God in and through our church. My part in this is my upward call, and I'm coming together with these people so that we unite for the purpose of the kingdom and that we serve the Lord together and we're connected as a group of people, a body. United together. We're not just here to visit and to listen to the message. And so in that, Paul's writing to the church here. And I want you to know what the mission of the church is. What is God's purpose? I'm going to tell you what it's not. Our church culture today in this country has so taken on a wrong thought process 
of what the purpose of the church is. I've seen it years ago, and, and I say I totally disagree with it, and I'll say it now. Maybe some of you have seen a sign, a wall, you said, church I used to pastor, I walk in, there was a sign in the back, it didn't make it long. But it said, a, hosp- uh, a, a church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not a hospital. How many of you enjoy going to the hospital? How many of you want to invite your friends and go, hey, I'm going to the hospital today. Y'all want to come? Right? Let's be real. It's not a hospital for sinners. The Bible said, unto him be glory in the church. We're not a bunch of weak, feeble, crippled people. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, Pastor. I am sick and I have problems and all this. And we have come to a place to where we've moved away from a, a, a central focus of a gospel That delivers life and freedom and power. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 37. You are more than conquerors in Christ. You're not a weak, feeble people. You know why the world's not interested in hearing what the church has to say today? Because we've we've made ourselves a place where, you know what? When you hit rock bottom and you have nowhere else to go, then try Jesus. He's better than rock bottom. This is the gospel we're presenting. Oh, if you have cancer, you know, that's, and I'm all about praying for people who are saved, but if you have cancer, or you have marriage trouble, or your kids are off there, and they come to the church, and that's what the church is for. No, it's not. That's what the ministry of the church is for outside. Going to the world to minister to those people. Listen to me. Ultimately, you can weep and cry and pray your guts out for people who have cancer, For people who are dying of a sickness or a disease, you can pray your guts out and counsel for marriages to be fixed and they, and God can fix it and God can heal cancer and God can heal any and every type of disease and He can, He can bring people out of their addiction. He can do all of those things. But if those people do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent of their sin and trust in Jesus, they'll die and burn in the devil's hell for all eternity after having a great marriage. After having been healed from cancer and never knowing Jesus. And what we've done is we've turned the church into some type of a place where you can come and get a crutch for your problems. And that's what a lot of messages and a lot of Christians, listen to me. Don't go appealing. You never end up finding people who don't have problems. I can go out to the prison once a month and if I appeal to that and go, I don't present a gospel of, you know what? I know you are in prison. And it's terrible that you're here. But you know, if you just give your life to Jesus, he makes everything better. So you know what? I ran into that one time. One dude came up to pray with me and said, I'm going to be in here for 40 years. I'm probably going to die in here. I want you to pray for me. And I was like, what in the world? And God challenged me. What am I fixing to pray for this man? I can't say, Lord, I pray that when he, when you get him out of this place, that he would... That he would walk with you, that he would lead his family, you'd restore his marriage, you'd restore his children. God, you would give him life and you'd show him favor. I couldn't pray that. Like, all right, Lord, he's in this very dark place. He has no hope of ever getting out. He's probably going to die in here. And if he doesn't, he's going to waste his whole life based upon some decisions that he made. God, it's not your fault that he's in here. He's in here as a result of sin. What in the world can I pray for him in this place? And here's the point. Man, I can go in there and preach to those guys and tell them, you know, God will restore your family. God will, God will bless you with a job when you get out. God can do all this. But if they don't know Jesus, they're still going to die and go to hell. They're still going to die and go to hell. But here's the good news. That guy's in there for 40 years. You might be in here for 40 years, brother, when you know Jesus. You're free in here, and you will be free one day. That's the hope of the gospel. And you still have a purpose in this place. 
And so in that, the mission of the church is ultimately to carry the gospel of Jesus. Here's where everybody starts feeling bad. Okay, listen to me. We can harp on how dark the world is, how awful our culture is, and, and how terrible our politics are. Listen to me, Corinth was a tremendously dark place, one of the most wicked, godless places on earth. What was going on there, I won't go into it for time's sake, but listen to me, it's one of the places where today many believers would avoid and condemn. I actually had somebody tell me, you're wasting your time going at that prison. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. You know why? Because I'm not called to avoid the darkness. I'm called to invade it. Because light is greater than darkness. And if we would take our eyes off of talking about all the problems and all the bad things, and we would look at our, we would look, put our eyes upon the Lord, and we would be the light that we're called to be, we would make a difference in the darkness. And God's called the church to invade. The Lord called Paul to Corinth, and, and Paul established a church in a very dark place. <clears throat> and here's the thing, you're not called to clean it up. He didn't call Paul to go over, go over to Corinth and make it a better place to live. Jesus didn't die so you can have a better life and have a better place to live. He died so that you can have life, so that you can give life, so that you can be a hope. Listen to me. The gospel, the weight of the gospel is not on the Lord. He's done his part. The weight of the gospel is sitting on the church. My Sunday school is going to hear it again. But Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. I know he said, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you... You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. We're the ones who are supposed to be a reflection of the light that is in us going out of us. And if people do not hear the gospel, not just see your example. You know, some of us go, I don't want the confrontation of speaking the gospel, so I'm just going to live it. You can live it and people go, man, that's a good dude. That's a good church. But they're not going to be saved just because you're a good dude or a good gal. They need to hear that they're a sinner, that there is hope for sinners, and that Jesus will forgive, show mercy, give life, redeem. They got to hear it. The Bible said, how can they be saved if they don't hear? Y'all with me? Come on now. So here he goes, going to make me feel guilty. If you feel guilty, that's your own crazy fault, okay? But here's the thing. It's sad to say that the ministry of the church today is geared towards the church and not the world. We gear more of our ministry towards the church we pray more over the sick than we do the lost. And I'm not here to condemn you, but I've been listening. Me and my wife, Bo, we just made it a point. I've been listening to the prayer requests in every class we've been in in the last three weeks. In three weeks. I know somebody's going to come. Now, Brother Randall, I did ask. Okay, I didn't hear it if you did. In three weeks of prayer requests in every different class, I have not heard one request for a lost person. Not one. I've heard prayer requests for people who are sick. Prayer requests for people who are having trouble in their marriage. Prayer requests for children. Not one not one time in three weeks have I heard a prayer request go, I have a friend who's lost. I have a friend who's lost. Please pray that he'll be saved. Not one. So I go, all right. We need a little reminder and get back on track. We do more to try to produce better living conditions than we do to give life. We're more about making people feel better than equipping them for war. More concerned about our divine destiny in life rather than our eternal destiny in of the unbelieving. You know, and that's why we're so much about our earthward call rather than our upward call. Y'all guilty yet? <laughs> okay, stay with me. Don't lose me now. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I believe that it's because, for whatever reason, and, and people, people flip out over hell. The church does. For a majority of people, we don't, and here's where I'm going to lose a lot. We don't want to hear about hell. We don't want to hear about them hell fire. I'm not, you say I'm not hollering and beating on the pulpit. 
Don't accuse me of hellfire brimstone preacher. I'm a Bible teacher. Jesus preached more on hell than he did heaven. But here's what hell has become a myth to the church. It's a myth. We don't talk about it. Think of one song on Christian radio you heard this week that even mentioned hell or judgment. I bet every, I bet the farm on it. You can't think of one. I can't. I listened for it. I made a point as I listened to it all week this week. I didn't hear one song talk about hell, judgment, and very few that even mentioned sin. Heard a lot about living conditions, problems, troubles, trials, and counseling, but I didn't hear anything about lost people. When's the last message you heard apart from this pulpit that you heard anything mentioned about the wrath of God? We don't like to hear those things. We don't like to be thinking about it. And, and here's the problem. That wasn't me. But, but here's the thing. I, I, want, I want you to get this, y'all. Man, I, and, and I do the same thing. Man, I ain't like I said around, go, man, I can't wait. Preach on hell. You know? I'd rather any day preach on God's goodness, love, grace, live your best life now. Like, you know, I ain't preaching that. But, <clears throat> but here's the thing, you know? If I in my life avoid the, the truth of hell, like, whew, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm not going there. I don't got to think about it anymore. It doesn't change the fact that people are dying and going to hell. I, want, I challenge you a couple weeks ago, read the Bible yourself. Pull up the subject, hell, and see how many times Jesus spoke of it. It's a horrific place. It's a reality. It's true. And every unbeliever, good little old ladies who die without Jesus, face the wrath of God on sin. And they're going to spend eternity according to Luke chapter 16, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, Matthew chapter 25, give you a whole lot of others. If you die without having come to a place of repentance and faith in Christ, if your friend dies without having come to a place of repentance and faith in Christ, if your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your child, your grandchild die without believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 20 says, and anyone whose name is not found, written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you'll look at that for yourself, Revelation chapter 20, look at it this evening. Both small and the great stood before the Lord on the day of judgment, rich and poor, strong and feeble. And if their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. That's a fact. That's a truth. And the church is called, everyone here is called to do something about that. We're called to do something about it. You go, I'm not good at it. Well, get good at it. Okay? Quit making excuses. You're a conqueror in Christ. And one of the biggest things I see is, well, I'm just scared of it. I'm just fearful of it. And I shared this with my, I told him I was going to double preach him this morning. In my Sunday school class, I said, how many of you here are scared to tell somebody about your grandbabies? Even if they don't want to hear it, you're plopping out pictures and showing phones and Facebooking and all that stuff. You love talking about your kids. When little Johnny hits it over the fence, you got to tell everybody, even people who hate baseball, you're going to tell them. You don't bother you a bit that it offends them. It doesn't bother you a bit that your kid offends the other team when they score 40 points in a basketball. You're up there going, woo-hoo, and the whole other side's ticked off. You know why? Because you love that baby, and you should. You should stand up there and lose your mind over it. So why is it so hard to share Jesus? Well, people don't like it. They don't like your kids, I promise you. <laughs> right? They don't like my kids. They don't like my grandbabies. They don't like to hear. They don't shut me up. Say, so, you know what? I don't like hearing about your kids. You better walk away from me because I'm going to talk about them because I love them. 
And they're good. <laughs> Most of the time, you know. <laughs> but here's the point. We, we've turned sharing Jesus into some process of, well, you know, theological, i got to have all these degrees and understanding and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, do you know Jesus? Is, did he save you? Do you love him? Is he good? Is he, I mean, 13 out of 200 people here every Sunday singing to him, so he's got to be some kind of good. You know, you pray to him, you ask him, you talk to him, you worship him. Then why is it so hard for me to walk up to Chris on the street and I don't know and go, man, I'm going to tell you something, God is so good to me, he's so good. Does it, if Chris doesn't believe that, does it change the fact he's good? Mm, he's still he's good to me. Let me tell you what the Lord's doing in my life, man. I don't want to hear it. Better get away from me because we're going to talk about it. And go to the subject. You say, well, it's so confrontational. Yeah, heaven confronts hell. And if it doesn't, hell wins. Do you understand that? When you look at the people that God brings in your pathway this week, if I do not confront this, hell wins. And so many of us are focused on our problems. I heard it said this week, and I love it. I'm thinking, you know what? Christ has saved us. We ought to live every day to make hell regret that it ever messed with us. To stand up and speak the gospel in all boldness and quit being such a chicken. You know, let's break it down for what it is. I told the teenagers this week, we, we talked on this, and it actually stirred up a little bit of stuff, and I'm great at stirred up stuff. But I'm like, man, get over yourself. Get over your cowardness. Get over all of your excuses. Quit being a stinking chicken and start sharing Jesus. Quit making sure, well, we, we'll we, and we'll come every kind of excuse. Well, it just makes, this, I don't like being this, and I just made, you know, blah, 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 blah. All right, oh, now that we're past all that stuff, that person you love is still going to hell. All of your excuses didn't save them. All of your hoping that, this, that someday they get it doesn't save them. In reality, they need to hear the gospel from somebody that loves them. Man, don't you love those people? I do. You don't if you don't tell them about Jesus. You know, Jeremy was talking this week. He gave a great illustration. You know, Dad, it's like, if you was there standing on a mountain and you looked up and all of a sudden a blind man come along with a cane. He was walking along and he was headed to the cliff. If you cared, you'd be like, hey, buddy, going towards a bad direction. He'd turn it around. Now, he might not listen to you, but you did your part. I think some of you would try to wrestle him down. And even if he wiggled out of your hands or rolled off the cliff, at least you cared. But for you to go, I care, especially if that was your daddy. Hey, Dad, you're blind. You're going towards the cliff. You wouldn't have no problem saying that. You need to turn around. Ain't that what the gospel is? Turn around. Turn to Jesus. Turn around. But if you sit there and go, man, I love him. I don't want to hurt his feelings by telling him he's going to walk off the cliff. You know, it's not politically correct to call him blind. So I'm just going to let him go. Ah! Well, I didn't see it. So he didn't walk off the cliff. Are you with me? What? He's dead at the bottom. And we're letting people walk off into an eternity of the lake of fire where they'll never escape that judgment. And here's the, I think the worst part for Christians is going to be this. On that day in Revelation chapter 20, where they're cast into the lake of fire, you're going to be the audience. You're going to be the audience. At least know you tried something. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not just talking about for love. I'm just talking about people. You wouldn't let a stranger walk in front of a car. Some of you would die for a stranger. But you won't simply share the greatest thing that ever happened in your life? How simple is that? And I, I just want to testify because you got all these thoughts in your mind about, you know, how people are going to respond, how they're not going to listen. People don't want to hear it and all that stuff. I'm thinking, I've been, you know, doing this 20 years now. I know you're sick of me saying that, but 
almost 21. <coughs> I haven't I haven't been spit on. I haven't had nobody punch me in the face yet. It's a great thing. I haven't I haven't had anybody try to shoot me or kill me. I've I've been mocked. Oh, the pain. You know, I've been called a couple of simple names. You know, I got called names before I shared the gospel. I promise you that. I got folk that don't like me, hate me, lie about me, and do all that stuff. Guess what? Still living, breathing, and happy. But I've had a large group of people that the world and the church went, that's way too dark, that God's allowed me to be a part of. Some of them sitting here today. That I went, all right, I'm scared to death to do this, Lord. This is not my, this is not my gift. But I'm a, I'm a, I love you so much, i got to try to do something stupid. And sometimes I say stupid things. But here's the thing. The Lord said, I'll take the foolish things you say, and I'll confound the wise. And those people believed. I mean, we, we have a church today, but especially in Denison Spring, it was a church of reprobates. The whole church and our people. I, I don't know how many times I, I saw a saint walk into the church and go, Man, I can't believe the ceiling's still standing. How did you ever get him in there? Like, the Holy Spirit did it. I didn't. And that's the point. Do you not believe the gospel? Is the gospel powerful enough to change you? You as a nut. So was I. Change to save anybody. I mean, look at this crowd. For God's sake, Gary Scoggins saved him in this building. Spitzer Pesky. Let's pick out a sorry woman. <laughs> My wife, for God's sake. <laughs> If he can save those people and you're listening to the biggest moron you can listen to. If he can save us. You say, why do you believe so much the gospel? Saved me. It's not difficult. And we've got, in reality, we've got a world. A world of people we're going to embrace starting in the next 10 minutes. You're going to walk out of here in a world of darkness. People who are clueless. People who have been blinded by the devil. People who have seen every kind of false profession. False religion. We had a man sit down with us this week at a restaurant. We was at me and the boys. He had a hat on that said, my lifeguard walks on water. Cody commented and said, like a hat. He said, can I sit down? I said, sure. And in less than 10 seconds, he was using every kind of foul language he could use. I'm like, man, wonder why people don't care nothing about Jesus. You don't wonder why the gospel is a joke? Because the people who really live it aren't speaking out. That's why. The people who are hypocrites, they, they speak whatever they speak. The people who are lost, they speak what they speak. But we, for some reason, as God's people, have so much respect for our sinners and lost people in the world. We just don't want to offend nobody and speak the gospel. I'm like, speak it! Be surprised what God can do in your life. So let me sum this up. So if you're here this morning, and I want to say this very clear. If you've never come to I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about confirmation. And those things have nothing to do with your salvation. I'm not talking about you turning over a new leaf and being good, being reformed, being, what's the word they use in the prison, rehabilitated, trying to do better, stop cussing and drinking. And that, Here's what I'm saying. If you've never come to the place to agree with the word of God to go, I am a sinner. I am guilty before a righteous God. The Bible said all sin to come short of the goal. Every single person here guilty before God because you've sinned. You've broken God's law. If you've broken one, you're guilty of them all. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And if you die in your sin, if you die in your sin, you'll spend eternity separated from God in a lake of fire created for the devil and his angels. The good news, here's the great part. 
Jesus loves sinners. When he died on the cross, he was representing you before the judge. He stepped in the place between you and the judge and he said, whatever. Chris has got on his account, pour out your wrath on me for him. Whatever Spencer's got on his account, pour out your wrath on me for him. I love them as sinners. I want to save them. To give them an opportunity so that they can find mercy. He wants to give you that. He died in your place and, and the judge, Isaiah 53, 11, looked at the torment of Jesus' soul and said, justice is satisfied. No more to be accomplished. Everything that needs to be done to satisfy the justice of God was done at the cross of Calvary. Your sin buried in his body. And he rose again to demonstrate his authority and his power over sin, over death, and all of hell. And he has the authority. And Satan can't say anything about to go, I will give you, grant you salvation, grace, Mercy and forgiveness. If you'll turn from your sin and turn to me, I'll give you forgiveness and eternal life. If you've never turned from your sin and put your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you, you have no hope. But if you have, you're a saint. You've got all hope. And you've got a calling and purpose in your life. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if he's dialing your number right now, don't push the decline button. Right now, go, God, I just want to answer that call. You know how simple salvation is? When that, when that message registers you, answer the call. God, I hear, I hear you. I want to answer this. I want to, I want to humble myself. I want to receive your grace. I need, I need your mercy and grace. Hopefully I'm talking to a majority of people at this point. You're born again believer. You don't realize you've been so lied to if you're just coming to church and you think it's all about you and your living conditions. And as long as the devil can keep you there, he can watch your family and your friends and your community. All step off into judgment. But what would happen if you answered that call and go, I just want to see, can, can God use a fool? Can God use somebody who's uneducated and ignorant? Can God use somebody who's so smart and got so much education, they think they're too smart? Won't you find out? Won't you go, God, I want to know your purpose in my life. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to wake up every day with the first thought in my mind going, what are we doing today, Lord? What are we doing today? And here's the scripture. I don't got time to think about that because I got to make a living. Well, duh. Don't we all? That's why Jesus said, you seek me first. He knows you got food. You need food. You need clothes. You got bills to pay. You got cars to drive and gas to get. You know what? It's not a surprise to heaven. He's like, you seek me first. I'll take care of that junk. That's nothing. I can bless you more just by speaking it that you can work for in 50 years. And if you wake up with a heart in the morning, I challenge you. By all means, test God today. I don't know if that preacher's right. He's not. The Bible is. I'm closing with this. Challenge you. Pray this this morning. God, if you have a purpose for me, I want to know it. I want to see if you'll bring somebody into my pathway this week. Probably won't make it through the day. Bring somebody in my pathway this week, and let me hear your voice speak to me and go, this is the person I want you to talk to. Now, before you pray that, you got to decide if you're going to be obedient. But here's the thing. When God brings that person, here's, the, here's what's awesome. I found out. When God brings somebody in your pathway and says, speak to that person, he's already dealing with them. They're ready to hear it. He's already been there. He was there yesterday before he got to you today. All you did was go, God, I want to be an avenue for your glory. 
I want to be an earthen vessel that's worth nothing. This church is not a place for polished vases to show God how great we are. It's a place for earthen vessels who have no worth whatsoever until the glory of God moves in us and pours out through us. God, I want to be that. Will you use me this week? I prayed that this week. I'm working out in Monab in the middle of nowhere. Everybody on my crew knows Jesus, overly knows Jesus, because we preached to them the whole time. God, what can you do out here in the sticks? And you know what? I got two opportunities where the door just kicked wide open. I was like, man, God, you're amazing. You're out here in the sticks too. If you can't go to them, he'll bring them to you. Test him. Or leave today, talk about how long I preach, how you probably won't come back, or maybe next week will be shorter. Your choice, your life. But if you got people in your life that's lost and going to hell, please wake up to that reality and do something about it. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? <coughs> Lord, I love you, God. I thank you so much that you love sinners. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on Calvary's cross so that we could be saved. Lord, so we could be called saints. So we could fellowship with you. So we could know you. God, so that you could work in us because you want to work through us. And Lord, there's people all over this crowd who you have a higher calling, an upward call for the very purpose to which you breathe the breath of life in them. You, you knitted them together in their mother's womb with that purpose in mind. And as your word says, for such a time as this, God, that they would answer that call. Lord, I pray. It doesn't have to be a position, a role, Lord, it's just a, a call to follow you, a call to obedience, a call to let you do what you do. And God, I pray people here today would humble themselves and seek that, Lord. Not let the devil speak lies to them. God, not to make excuses as if it's going to change anything, but God, to embrace the battle that's before them. Lord, I just pray for the ones who are here this morning, maybe they don't know you as their Savior, that the reality of what they face, God, would enter into their heart so that the reality of the hope that you give them, they would receive that, God. I pray that people would turn to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that awaits for you. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. But you keep standing at a distance.